The continent of Africa has a rich history of trade and entrepreneurship. Any misunderstanding of that is a sad commentary on our collective gaps in education. The continent is currently a hotbed of opportunity and potential. Jacob Rahane, co-founder and CEO of Parity, is an example of that. His company, based in Nairobi, is a VC platform that connects and develops founders to investors. In other words, if you're in the tech space and you have an idea and you, you're in the startup space, on the continent of Africa and you're looking for capital. Parity is the platform. Parity is the place to go to get you developed and then find you the money. Jacob is truly a man on a mission and working to change the continent of Africa through entrepreneurship. Previously, he worked at SunTrust Robinson Humphreys in the investment space. And to my daughter, Maya, we are going to show your school some love on this episode of The Parlay in All Blue. Jacob Berhane, welcome to The Parlay in All Blue. How are you? I'm great, Mark. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, we are here in, in Atlanta and um, we had a bit of a snow, but it's already gone away. So we're, we're here. How are things where you are and where are you? Let, let the audience know where you are. I'm in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, but I did live in Atlanta at one point in time. And I think the last time I lived there, there was snow. So kind of funny how, how, how that worked. There, there and things it is. are good here. Um, it's, it's summertime here. So, it's, you know, it's sunny, it's warm. Yeah, can't complain. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so there's a lot we want to talk about in terms of doing business in Africa and, uh, you know, startup world and what it means to lead a company and things like that. But let's just start with your company, Parity. You're the CEO and founder. What is Parity? So Parity is a community marketplace. We connect founders, investors, and talent together um, as the founders get connected with talent and investors. Hopefully they build companies that will have a positive and lasting impact on the continent. And our role in this is to provide feedback and support to these founders, whether it be connecting them with the capital or with talent that can help them fulfill their mission. Yeah. And, and, and how do you how does that happen? I mean, what's the how does that work? So the process is founders can come in directly for like feedback on their pitch deck or their financial model. And we use the community to help give collective intelligence and feedback to these founders. And from that, they can act on that feedback either by working with our freelance community to improve their finances, their product, their design. And then as they go through that journey, they have access to different people in the community that can mentor them and coach them and then get connected with investors through our intelligent matching platform that is helping them connect with the investors that are looking for those particular type of opportunities. And so there's a, a few things I want to to decipher there. You talked about the businesses who are or or founders of companies and, and, and business leaders who are looking for mentoring, feedback, coaching on their their sort of business model and, and you know the way they're showing up in the market and then there's investors. Let's let's talk first off about 
who are the businesses that you are serving? Who who's who's coming to your platform? I guess the personas that would identify the majority of the founders on our platform would be pre-seed and seed stage companies and some Series A. They're mostly tech or tech-enabled companies, and they can range from any different type of industry, from logistics, financial, like financial technology, e-commerce, agriculture, and they can come from any one of the countries on the continent. And currently, we're, we've been supporting over 900 companies across the continent in 43 different countries. There's a couple of technical terms that I'd like for you to just explain for our audience. You talked about pre-seed and Series A. What are what are, what does that mean? Yeah, so a pre-seed company is it hasn't raised its seed stage financing round, and the different qualifications kind of shift around. But usually, pre-seed company is probably like anywhere from just starting to maybe under two years old. Usually, they have not found product market fit, meaning that the demand for their solution service or product is clearly outstripping their supply. They haven't raised a qualified round. So that might be a priced round, meaning someone valued the company. And then on the other side of that, a series A stage company is for the most part defined as a company that's found product market fit and is now on the path to like really ramp up and grow. And and you mentioned that most of the companies are in the in the tech space. And uh, say a little bit more about you mentioned some types of companies, but nine hundred is big. That's a lot. Uh, congratulations. That's that's some pretty pretty healthy uh, size of, of companies that you have uh, involved in, in in parity or on the platform. Say a little bit more about the types of companies that are that are coming to you. Yeah, like I said, it could be anywhere from a you know an early company that just started that would be kind of classified as pre-seed and it could be anything from a fintech an example would be fingo africa they are a neobank for africa complete pharma which is a agriculture tech enabled agriculture company there's all different types um you know from nigeria to kenya to south africa some are pure tech plays and some are tech enabled companies Got it. Got it. And and so then the other group you mentioned was the community and giving feedback. Now, who, who what makes up the community? Who is that? Well, the community is, I, I think the biggest common denominator would be people that care about the African tech ecosystem and have the time and the necessary knowledge to support these founders and, and have a giving mentality. So it can be a founder that wants to help other founders. It could be an investor that wants to help other investors or founders. And it could also just be someone working, you know, here on the continent that, you know, maybe works at a big agriculture company, healthcare company, and they want to pass on their industry knowledge to founders that are trying to solve problems in that sector. And how, how long has how long has Parity been around? Uh, we'll be three years old uh, this February. Okay. Okay. What's the name Parity? Why 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 that name? So the name came from the asymmetry of knowledge and resources that I witnessed when I first started working with startups on the continent. So back in 2014, I just realized that there was a a big gap in knowledge and resources, and the people that had the information and the people that had the resources had majority, and just kind of creating more access and uh, a better path to being able to raise money and hire talent. And, you know, you want to provide parity to that, to that equation. Got it. 
Talk about some uh, successes that you've seen from companies who've been using the platform so far. Yeah, um, one of our, I guess, best examples of success is a company called Fingo that I mentioned earlier. It's in our TechCrunch article as well. They came through pitch review. They you know, got feedback. They appreciated the feedback so much that the founder themselves, the founders themselves joined the platform to give feedback to other founders. They raised some money on our platform and got into YC. Another parody company coached them and, and gave them some, I guess, gave them some game on how to get in and what their experience would be like. And then after Fingo graduated from YC, it went on to raise a seed round and it helped another founder on our platform get into YC and mentor and coach that founder. I can't share that company's name yet because it's not public that they've gotten into YC yet. But I think that's yeah. the, that is the best example of what we want to see happen on Parity. As we help these founders, we want them to kind of you know, pass that game on to someone else, help someone else. And that way the ecosystem is, you know, building itself up and and all we're doing is kind of just facilitating these meaningful interactions. Yeah. And and you guys uh, actually just recently received a, a pretty significant investment yourself. Is that yeah, so we just raised our seed round. So Harlem Capital was our lead investor, accompanied by uh, Better Ventures and a few other investors that really believed in our mission. We raised uh, $2.85 million. And awesome. Congratulations on that. Congratulations. So there's a couple of things I want to get squared away. So the companies that are on the platform and looking to hone their pitch and hone their business model and looking for capital and investors, those are all companies that are on the continent of of Africa, correct? Yeah, they're all companies based on the continent. Okay, and then, but the the community, so to speak, are those all African founders and African business leaders? Uh, no, it's a uh, it's a mixed bag. I mean, majority of them are African, either African living on the continent or the African diaspora, which is, I think, is a really um, really valuable opportunity to get the diaspora involved with the content and allow that diaspora talent to also maybe potentially move back and work with these founders. And I think by being on the platform, the diaspora kind of gets a advantage of seeing what it's like and working with these founders. And it kind of eases the burden of making the, the jump to move back to the continent. So yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag. We want we want there to be a a, a wealth of talent and community and we don't want it to be limited to any geographical region for the for the people that are in our community, as long as they have the the same mission that is to help African founders, you know, build their companies. So, so let's talk a little bit more, bit more about the business climate and environment in Africa broadly. And I know you're in the tech sector and startup, but if you could just you know step us back for a minute and just give us a sense of of what it's like to do a business in Africa right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I can't really speak on at a like overall standpoint because like, like you said, I, I focus on the early stage in the tech sector. I think my one statement at, that would be general is that um, to do business in Africa right now, it's very exciting and things are changing and rapidly developing. And, and it's, it's just really inspiring to see all the different places that are coming up with new innovations. 
Now, you were located in Kenya. Why? Why did you set up shop there? So I came here to work with a company called M-Survey. It changed its name to Ajua. So I I originally moved to South Africa, and then from South Africa, I moved to Mauritius, and from Mauritius, I moved to Kenya. All different um, experiences, lovely countries, and I came to Kenya once again to help another company, which is Ajua. After helping them raise and working with the founder and the leadership team to build out a growth and analytics team, I just really kind of fell in love with the country. And when I took a step back and thought about, you know, where would I want to launch Parity? It just, Kenya is, it's inspiring just to see what the entrepreneurs are doing here. It is leading the world as a country, as far as mobile money um, with M-Pesa. So you're seeing a lot of uh, fintech innovation that are ha- that's happening here. And then also Kenya punches above its weight. If you, if you look at how much money it's raised, compared to GDP and population and in relation to other countries on the continent, it's just really punching above its weight. So I think all of those, I guess, ingredients and, you know, the people and, and everything else just really made me want to stay here. What is it like finding talent? So and I'm not talking about the companies or, or sort of founders or startups that are on parity, but I'm talking about talent that goes around running a business, whether it be people in accounting or, you know, various technology roles? What's the talent like on the continent? I think there's a a lot of talent, but there's also a lot of opportunity for more talent. I think on the finance roles, that is a sector that's been more developed over time because you do have big banks here. You have homegrown banks, you have multinationals, you have a lot of multinational companies with their own internal finance divisions. So that kind of breeds a lot of finance professionals. As far as the, as the tech space goes, I think the last stat was like, we're, we're close to about 800,000 developers across the continent. Most of them are still really junior and they're, you know, they're, they're sharpening up their, their tools and, and, you know, building out a, a deeper tech ability and tech stack ability. But um, it's promising. I think the thing with, you know, in any industry, it takes time. There has to be something that fosters it. There has to be jobs that are available. So, you know, if you're going into a certain field, you want to know that you're learning a skill set that, you know, will be highly employable. And I think a lot of the, the youth on the continent are seeing this kind of tech renaissance that's happening. And they're all really excited about developing those skills. And there's a lot of startups actually that are, you know, training developers and you know there's a lot of multinationals aws there's google there's facebook they're all launching their own development programs and some venture funds even are even doing that so it's really cool to see that's awesome what about other aspects of of infrastructure um in doing business on the continent in terms of we mentioned banking what about just sort of uh, broadband and and access and that kind of thing I mean, it's case by case. I don't think there's any, there's nothing that I would say cut across across the continent. Like in, in Kenya, you have Safaricom, which is a, a really big tech company, and it fostered the innovation of mobile money. The cost of data here is, is very low. So then that creates more access. You know, in South Africa, you have a lot more developed financial infrastructure. So there's more credit cards, there's more people that have bank accounts, et cetera. In Nigeria, you have like traditional oil industries, but you also have the largest tech scene in Africa is in Nigeria. So it's, you know, it's it's different. It's different in every country. 
it's even different in within each country, right? You know, it's what might be the, the case in Nairobi might not be the same case in Mombasa, which is the same country. Got it. Now, you um, in, in talking, you said Kenya, you love the country and clearly actually very innovative in, in terms of fintech and mobile payments and, and that kind of thing. What are the country's um, good places to do business right now or exciting places or promising places? I would say, you know, these won't be surprising to anyone, but, you know, South Africa, Nigeria is, you know, arguably the most exciting place with Kenya. Egypt is really, really on a a great trajectory right now. Their, Their ecosystem is evolving rapidly. And you're seeing even smaller nations like Rwanda, which are really also punching above their weight and they're being innovative in how their government is looking at trying to foster entrepreneurship with different programs and different tax incentives, et cetera. Um, And then you have the Africa Free Trade Commission, which is also trying to do something that's more pan-African. But you have to remember, you're dealing with a continent that has uh, 54 countries. So it is extremely complex, it's extremely nuanced. So yeah, we'll we'll see. But I think the future is really exciting and, and looks pretty bright. Yeah. Say a little bit more uh, about Rwanda. It's a country that I've been interested in for a while, just to, just in terms of its turnaround and, and governance and, and that kind of thing in terms of doing business. Well, the first thing that I noticed about uh, Rwanda was how clean it is. Like it is probably specifically Kigali, the, the capital city. It's probably the cleanest city I've ever been to in the world. Like I've never seen a city that, that that's that clean before, and I and it goes from the top down. The president Kagame has made that a, a very clear priority to keep the country clean. Also, the people are extremely friendly; they're just lovely to speak to and be around. It's a very very rich culture, and the, the country is extremely green. It's this rolling hills, this hills upon hills that are just bright and green, and a beautiful country. Yeah. And so one of the things that whenever I hear about Rwanda and I haven't been there is the cleanliness. And I know they, you know, like the community, especially in Kigali, once a month, everybody, all the citizens are out cleaning up and that kind of thing. And I've also I don't can't remember if it was the World Bank or what have you, which organization, but ranked them really high in terms of um, ease of doing business, getting a business license and setting up certificates of ownership and that kind of thing. It was, I think it was ranked even ahead of Mexico in one ranking here recently. So Rwanda is definitely a bright spot. You mentioned Nigeria in the tech space. Why so? Well, I think that for me, the thing that stands out about Nigeria is, the, you know, I think it always comes down to the people. Nigeria is just full of passionate, high energy people. And a lot of hustlers, a lot of really, really intelligent people, as as you see just from what's going on in the tech ecosystem there. And the vibrant culture, you see it displayed in the music, you see it displayed in the business sector, you see it in America. Like, I think Nigerians might be one of the top holders of degrees um, in, yeah. in the United States, so very educated, very, very, like, hustler, gritty mentality. You know, somebody kind of described it as like anti-fragility. They're just kind of able to be resilient and work really, really hard and, and kind of build things um, that are really hard to build. I mean, I think that that's why they are doing so well as an ecosystem. 
Yeah. We talked about earlier the the companies that are on the platform and the community or what have you, those providing capital and investors. What is that environment like now? What are you seeing? And are the investors there on the continent or across the globe or what what do you where where are the where are investors in in capital where's capital coming from i would say majority right like as far as just dollar for dollar there's more dollar for dollar coming from international capital i'd probably say first would be the united states and then second would probably be china but there is a lot of you know homegrown funds that are raising um but the Western markets are obviously that's where venture capital started. So the funds there are much larger, and you know they didn't get to where they're at by by not being smart. So they've seen what's happened in emerging markets, and they've seen the growth rate. So they've paid attention. And my hunch would be that you're probably going to see a lot more of those uh, Western funds have people with boots on the ground here, and you'll also see a lot more local funds probably raising. Bigger, you'll see probably a, a, a bigger amount of high net worth Africans on the continent, you know, doing more angel investing as they see the opportunity. But I'd say currently, right now, dollar for dollar, the majority of the, the dollar for dollar, the most money rather is coming from the states. That's what I would say. Yeah, and what what makes so when and talk about both ends in terms of you know when someone is aggressive and uh, an investor is is aggressive and really wanting to invest in in businesses there on the continent and you know hungry to do it what why are they doing it what what makes them what makes it attractive i guess i mean there's a combination of things right there is just like macro trends africa will have the largest youth population by 2050 the rate of connectivity across the continent is growing exponentially. There's also a lack of legacy competition. So you don't have a lot of big companies that already exist for startups to have to go against those so kind of what you would call like a green field. And also you have the rate of education that's increasing. So you have a lot of self-taught developers, people that are going to eventually become founders themselves or help build other companies. And if you just look at the United States and the GDP, and then if you look at the total valuation of the tech companies in the United States that are all that were like had some venture money and the percentage of of GDP based on those tech companies, like it's probably over 30, 40 percent if you combine Apple and Microsoft and Tesla and Apple. these are all tech companies that are backed at one point or another by some venture capital. And if you look at the continent, the percentage of GDP based on like tech companies themselves is really, really small at this point. So if you if you just project out that trend on top of the growth of GDP for the continent, it kind of seems like an obvious bet. And we're kind of going through our own, you know, revolution, right? We're we're having this tech renaissance, as I mentioned. So if you're an investor and, and you're seeking alpha and, and trying to get this yield, you have just a, a lot of green field space here. Yeah. And and what challenges when when someone is not getting it, what do you have to, to sell them on or what risk do you have to mitigate? Uh, I mean, I just don't, to be honest with you. I, I don't 
I don't believe in trying to sell something to someone that doesn't believe in it. I don't really see, I think that's more of a fool's errand. And then also it's usually going to backfire. Why try to convince someone to invest in something that they don't believe in? And then if they do end up investing, the first sign of trouble, they're probably already going to be on the defense and say, okay, I, I knew that this was a bad idea. So don't spend any effort on trying to convince people on the opportunity here. If they don't see it, that's fine. They'll see it over time as like we're all seeing it right now. I try to spend more of my time with the people that do see the opportunity and they want to invest, but they don't know how, they don't know where to get started. They want some support. That's what I spend my time focusing on. Yeah, no, I really like that because, you know, what I see, whether it's in business or, you know, in in any kind of endeavor or what have you, whenever you're doing a lot of convincing of people, that's really a race to the bottom yeah. because you're not focusing on, you know, where where you have active ears and eyes and hearts that are in it, where you can get the most out of it anytime that you're spending a lot of time convincing people, you're actually missing out on the, the real opportunities. Uh, I like that. Let me expand diaspora a little bit. And if I am Afro-Caribbean, Afro-American, Afro-Brazilian, or what have you, and I wanted to come to the continent to do business, what are tips or how would, how would what, what things would, would one need to know or how would I go about that? Well, uh, I would first ask you a couple questions. Like, what do you want out of your trip here? Like, what would you want your experience to to capture? Where would you want to go? How much time do you have? And what kind of things do you like? Are you are you a nature person? Do you want to go on safari? Do you want to hike mountains? Are you more of a leisure person? Do you want to be on the beach? Do you want to like, you know, eat really nice food and experience the city life and understand like what, you know, what it's like to be in all these different cities? So it, it, I would start with, trying to understand what you're looking for out of the experience. So, but more specifically about doing business there, if I'm, you know, Afro-Latino, Afro-American, I want to do business there, what what do you, what would be your advice? Well, I, I would still start with some questions, like what kind of business do you want to do, right? If I was yeah. coming to America, you wouldn't, and I said like, hey, I, I want to do business here, you'd be like, okay, great. Like, well, yeah. Right. Like what kind of business, you know? So do you want to be an investor? Do you want to work with someone here? You know, what kind of things do you want to work on? Is it early stage? Is it a specific industry? How big do you want the team to be? Do you want to be someone building something, investing in something? I would need to have more information before I would give anybody any kind of guidance on that. Yeah. You know, one of the things, and I just want to just get your take on this, and I think that people historically just don't get just because of just gaps in information and the way history is written or not written and what have you, is that you mentioned Nigeria and sort of that hustle and just, you know, enterprising attitude, but the continent, which is super big. I mean, I think people just don't even realize how physically big the continent is and just the history. So you mentioned Nigeria and, you know, West Africa. But if you go back in North Africa, you know, trade in terms of whether it was the Berbers or, or you know, the um, Islam North Africa or there on the east, the Swahili coast, definitely a rich history of business and trade or what have you. How does that influence sort of what's happening now? Like, like how cultural and historical things would impact trade? 
Yeah, or, or you know, in, in, impact sort of you know what what you see in founders and just just sort of the growth and just the 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 hungriness that you're talking about. Oh yeah, I mean, I think historical things that influence entrepreneurship, business, and and trade would be you know like the Swahili coast would be a good example where you do have just you you had a lot of trade coming in from the Middle East like over centuries right so yep. if you go to i believe watamu they have like the, the getty ruins where you have like you know historical uh muslim influence there and you notice it in the food and you notice it in just the garb the the way that the place is laid out so that creates a different vibe and it also creates a different economy on the coast of kenya than it does from you know nairobi and i mean yeah and all those things kind of are very different across the, the continent because, like you said, it is extremely big. Yeah. You have a, a vast region of, of different, different, different types of people, with, which also have interacted with you know, so many different types of people across the world. You have the, the most recent would be the Chinese investment on the continent and interest on the continent, which you know, influences maybe real estate development. So, yeah, I, I think it, it kind of just, it, it's really hard if we were to spoke, like focus on one particular region, then we could kind of drill down. If you look at the Chinese influence in Ethiopia or in Kenya, there's been a lot of development projects like highways, railways. Um, and, and I think that you'll look at that as the, a, a leading indicator of uh, influencing on certain uh, sectors. Take us uh, through a little bit of, of your journey of how did you sort of get here? I mean, you you moved back to the continent or moved to the continent. Just just take us through your journey. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I wasn't born on the continent. So my parents are Eritrean refugees in the States. They left Africa in the late 70s early 80s, there was a war between Eritrea and Ethiopia. So I was born in America. I was born in the nation's capital. I was born in Washington, D.C., and I grew up in Northern Virginia. But uh, my, you know, my family kind of all congregated in that area. So cousins, etc. And I just kind of grew up with a rich history and culture that always kind of reminded me of where we're from. And I always wanted to be able to have the opportunity to work here. And I visited when I was a kid. Unfortunately, uh, Eritrea right now, you know, is not a a place for for someone like me and the things that I want to do where I'd be able to like build a, a startup there. Hopefully, you know, we'll see it develop over time. So I took an opportunity to move to Johannesburg and uh, worked with an accelerator program there. I left investment banking to go do that. And that was called African Leadership Network. So that's under the umbrella of the African Leadership Group with Fred Swanaker, who co-founded that with Achaleke and many others. Um, and that was just really like the, the start of my journey back in 2014. And um, from, from South Africa, I moved to Mauritius to help raise money for the university, African Leadership University. And from there, I moved to Kenya and did the same thing with a company called Ajua and kept seeing that need for pre-seed, seed stage companies being able to raise money, kind of figure out the solutions that they're trying to drive. And yeah, that's how, uh, how I got here at Parity. Yeah. And, and you went to undergrad there in DC too, right? Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went to, I went to Howard. Okay. Okay. And then from Howard, 
you went into investment banking or was it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Where where did you start there? SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. So it's now merged with BB&T. So I think it's called Truist now. So that was the investment bank I started out. That's, that's also how I ended up living in Atlanta. I was a leveraged finance banker there. So I focus on debt banking specifically. All right. And, and Sora, talk to me about, you know, building your own business. What skills, what skills did you, have you developed over the past three years that you didn't have when you started Parity? I mean, so many. When I started Parity, or when we started Parity, rather, I think I I was a good like strategic thinker. I was good at executing. I was good at finance, data, and analytics. But I, uh, you know, I had to learn a lot about uh, just building a team, building a culture, which I'm still learning a tremendous amount about that. Understanding how to recruit people, understanding how to design a, a vision, and be held accountable for that vision, which I think that is, you know, something that I I tried to learn from the founders that I was working with and supporting prior to and still to this day. But it's a it's a very different experience when you're in the CEO seat and you've asked other people to come join you on this like mission. And, you know, you have to do your best job to I'd say to do those three things, right? Is keep the money in the bank, hire, you know, the best talent that you can get and be able to set a vision and strategy with the team and something that we all buy into and and want to be able to build over the long term. And yeah, it's, it's a marathon. So, you know, that's, I I think resiliency, I I had that before, but um, you learn that a lot more as being an entrepreneur is, you know, it's just consistently coming at you. It's relentless. Um, So you got to have you got to have uh, stamina for it. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the culture. You mentioned culture, building the right culture. What type of culture do you want parity to be known for? Founder first. So we, we articulate that in different ways. It can be servant leadership. Another one is, you know, own it. Meaning like if you're a part of our team, we don't want you feeling like you have to wait to be told what to do. So own the process, speak up. Also, you know, constructive engagement and, and criticism, being able to like help, have a healthy way of disagreeing. Yeah, and enjoying the ride. Sometimes we forget that one where I, I think it's it's a blessing to be doing what we're doing. And, you know, I want to make sure that we we understand that like every day that we get to help founders build businesses that might change the the continent for the better is really just a joy. So yeah, those are some of the things that we try to instill in the culture here. So you, you mentioned a couple of times and I'm taking away from this, that, that this is also, you know, this is business, but there's a mission in this in changing the continent. What you talk a little bit more about that, about why that's important to you, why it's important to parity and, how does that play out on a day-to-day basis? What does that look like? I mean, on a day-to-day basis, it's always asking the same question over and over again. Like, how does this help founders build companies that, you know, change their communities, change the country, change the continent? And yeah, that is our mission is to provide access to capital and talent to be able to uplift underserved ecosystems. So, and the reason why that matters to us is, is you know, there, like I said, there's going to be a huge uh, youth population on, on the continent. 
there needs to be jobs here for the for the people that are going to be coming of age there also are a lot of gaps in healthcare and education and agriculture and financial inclusion so media and technology the, the list goes on there's a lot of i look at that as there's a lot of opportunity for african entrepreneurs to build the future that they want to see for themselves it's our job to make sure we facilitate access to the resources that they need to do it and one last in in sort of that area in terms of people who are a part of parity or even in founders or what have you what sort of skills and characteristics do you look at in terms of hiring people for for parity and then even in terms of with the founders that end up, you know, coming into the platform. Yeah, I mean, I think for the people that we look to hire, it's it's the skill sets range, right? Cuz you could be on our finance team, you could be on tech or product or ops team. So the skill sets they vary based on the sector, I mean, the the part of the company they're going to work on, but it's more about why they want to work with us. So, if you want to join our media team, and I ask you why you want to join Parity's media team and you tell me, hey, I want to you know, be able to tell the stories of African entrepreneurs, like that is what I'm looking for. If you want to join our finance team, if you're saying I want to create a better pipeline or a process for founders to get access to capital, that's what I'm looking for. And then as far as like the founders that we join, have joined our platform, we, we look for um, give first mentality, people that have a growth mindset, people that don't look at things as a zero-sum game. They understand that we're going to get a lot further together than we will on our own. So those are the characteristics I'd say we look for. All right. Well, thank you for all of that. And uh, one question before we get very close. How's, uh, you mentioned healthcare. How's COVID affected business there? I mean, I'd say it's affected business here to a certain degree, like it has everywhere else. You know, it's definitely limited you know, how much people go to, how much people frequent restaurants or how many, you know, how often people frequent concerts and, you know, how many people are actually in the office. A lot more people are working from home or remotely. But I think Africa as a continent overall did pretty well as far as uh, death rates, et cetera. Um, There's still, you know, a lot of research to be done there. I know South Africa got hit pretty hard, but for the unfair lack of access to vaccines, I think that Africa performed a lot better than anybody expected it to. And I think that, you know, the response was better than, than you know, you saw in a lot of, lot of other places. I think people adapted to the mask mandates. Um, people were conscious about social distancing. Yeah, and I, and I think that it made a difference. Good, good, good. All right, all right. So, so thank you for for that. And so, as we come to a close, just a, a few questions that are more introspective, and then some fun at the end. How did Howard prepare you for for this? So one one thing that was beautiful about Howard is just seeing that many other Black people in one place. You know that that feels good. Another thing was just the excellence that I saw from the students at Howard. There was this, I mean, yeah, like a hustler, you know, hardworking mentality. 
people that also really, really cared about the heritage of Howard. And it was, you know, it was very easy to kind of hang out and meet people. Everybody kind of had a hustle going on. Like if this person was like the president of their fraternity, they also like threw parties on the weekend and they like had pulled money together to do like real estate projects. Like I, I, I you know, I, I was really impressed. Like I, I knew a couple kids while we were in school you know, that were working like two jobs, saving up money to do different real estate projects and, and stuff like that. So that like seeing that, you know, it, it changes you. It, it also helped like fight that narrative across the continent, um, not across the continent, across the state that you see um, that gets kind of gets painted a lot. So you're like, wow, this is a high collection of really smart, hardworking African, African-Americans, Black people. And that's beautiful. And I, and I have a lot of those relationships from my undergrad still to this day. So that that's how it changed me or shaped me. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And you know, the the one thing is is that uh, I always tell people is is that what you experienced on Howard is actually replicated throughout each of the HBCUs. It just people have a a perception of unless you've experienced it, you don't know. And I, I also think it's I'm glad you said that because it's very important for us to tell those stories and own sort of the narrative around it, because a lot of times it can be very negative. And it's just because people don't know, sort of like when we're talking about the, the Swahili coast in terms of its rich, rich history in terms of business and trade or what have you, it, it just people, there's just so many gaps in, in, in knowledge, whether and how we get out of it is a whole nother story, but at least hearing hearing it from someone like you is important. What does it mean to live well? I would say for me, it means to be at peace with knowing I've designed a life for myself. And I think that's really important in that it takes a lot of effort and energy to design a life for yourself. And it's hard a lot of the times to to bet on yourself or do things that, you know, aren't uh, the common path. But actually, this is a quote from Nipsey that he quoted from someone else where he was just like, do I ra- would I rather be at peace with myself and at war with the world or be at war with myself and at peace with the world? And I'd rather be at peace with myself. I want to know that whatever I decided, I, like whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm in, I decided that for myself. Um, and I think that's really important. And that's being walking with integrity and, and being true to, to the things that I want to do and living that out every day. That's awesome. I'm glad you uh, quoted Nipsey too. And he is or was Eritrean, that's, that's correct, right? Yeah, um, Nipsey is Eritrean. His given name is Ermius. So it's actually kind of funny because my best friend growing up, his name is Ermius. Um, I was best man at his wedding. And I got the opportunity to, to meet Nipsey at an Eritrean festival in D.C. I've been to the Marathon Closing Store. If you look at our TechCrunch article, me and my co-founder are both wearing Marathon t-shirts. So, yeah, um, I think he inspired us. He, he, he showed us how to reach beyond our grasp. And he also showed how to, like, really stay 10 toes down and like, you know, give to the community that you come from and try to uplift others and also walk with integrity, you know, be the person that you say you are. And, I, you know, we didn't, it's unfortunate, the the tragedy of, of losing him, but I think he left a lasting mark on this world and it influenced a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Let's stick with music a little bit. They're on the continent, though. What do I need to go and download right now? Or who do I need to check out? You need to go check out Blinky Bill. He's a uh, a really dope, dope artist coming out of Kenya. He's done some work with Gold Link. You can go check out some of his songs. Simmer Down is off his last album, which is really dope. And he's got a new project coming out. And I think that... You know, he represents the the range of African music. Um, you know, we we have the Wiz Kids, we have Burna Boy, we have Davido, we have a lot of great Afrobeat artists um, in South yep. Africa. We got AKA and so many others. We have Southeast Soul here in Kenya. But one I'm you know really excited about is is Blanky Bell. So I'd say go check him out. All right. And before we let you get out of here, and again, we really appreciate you taking the time there. I know you got a lot going on. So, um, you know, keep it up and all the best to you. Thank you. My favorite food, favorite cuisine is Ethiopian food, Ethiopian Eritrean food. That's that's my favorite. Okay, where is the best place to find that cuisine on the continent and away from the continent? It's in somebody's kitchen. The best place you're going to get that food is in someone's home. Like a home cooked meal like that is, is second to none. So I would say there's just plenty of great restaurants. But if you if you want the the best of the best, you know, make friends with someone and 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 try to get them to invite you over for dinner. That's that's the best way. So I will say that my family and I spent some time in uh, Ethiopia. By time you know, a few weeks. And we did have the opportunity in Lollibella to eat at someone's home. And it was a, a, a very, it was very good. The uh, injera was, was very good. Everything was very good. So, uh, so that is absolutely correct. But let me, let me ask, uh, let me narrow it down a little bit. If I am, if I'm going to DC mm-hmm. and I wanted that cuisine, where would I go? I gave you my mom's address, man. Uh, you can go pull up at my, my mom's house. She'll she'll make you a meal. I mean, like there's a there's um, I mean I'm not sure actually if they if yeah. they still still actually are there because I haven't lived in D.C. since like 2012. So I'm okay. not sure. Uh, like Dukum used to be there, or there's another Dukum is Ethiopian, and then Karen is uh, Eritrean. So there's two spots you can go to in D.C. I'm not sure if they still are operating. I hope they are. But yeah, those are two pretty famous spots that you can go to to get some some good food. What's the difference? Because I know there's tons and tons of overlap, but what what where would the differences be between Ethiopian and Eritrean food? It's hard to like really really specify. I think maybe you you might find more meat like in the Ethiopian dishes, but you know that kind of is broken down by different tribes. So like the Garage people. Are really known for kitfo, which is, I guess, the best way to explain it would be like like steak tartare would be like so like that's not a dish you you would see uh, in like traditional Eritrean food, but over, overall the, there's a, like a lot of overlap. Got it, got it. Well, listen, Jacob, we appreciate you and thank you for joining us on the Parlay in All Blue. If you could hold on one second, everybody else, thanks again for for joining us. Go to Spotify, Apple, like us, download us. And Spotify also has a feature right now where you can leave comments. Make sure you leave something, leave it good. If, and if it's something bad, 
just send it to Mark at the parlay and all blue.com. We only want positive things going out. So there we are. Thanks again. Appreciate you all. Bye-bye. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, or Stitcher. Wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite. Follow us or subscribe. Whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Marky G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.